You're listening to the Beyond the States podcast with Jen Vimont. Did you know that you can go to Europe and get your entire degree taught in English for less than one year of tuition at many American schools? Jen will take you on a deep dive into the many benefits and options around English-taught higher education in Europe, helping to make the possibility less foreign. Hi, I'm Jen Beamont. Thanks for joining me today. I want to tell you about this blog a listener recently sent me. It was written by a college counselor in the U.S., and the title is European Universities versus American Universities. We win. I'm not even kidding. She formed this conclusion after spending a two-week vacation in Spain and France. Still not kidding. She says, and this is a quote, compared to the European universities, Americans are very, very fortunate to possess their own unique higher education system. She notes that since European college is inexpensive, you won't find the cute liberal arts colleges where the classes are small and the professors are eager to be mentors. She also notes the decentralized campuses, the fact that some buildings actually look like office buildings, and that you won't find a quadrangle, dorms, or mascots. She ends with another quote, We all like to gripe about higher education in the United States, with cost being the number one complaint. I thought, however, that I'd give everyone a reason to feel fortunate that our children will be receiving their college degrees from institutions in this country. So I have a few, actually I have many issues with this blog. We won't even get into the fact that I disagree that the reasons she noted justify the huge cost in the U.S. My first issue is that there's just a lot of misinformation. There are, in fact, dorms in Europe. They're just not owned by the schools. And there are also, in fact, liberal arts colleges. I don't know if they're cute or not. I've never thought to define them as such. But my biggest issue with this article, other than the uh, America first kind of tone of it, is that she took information about her daughter's experience during a semester abroad and conversations that she struck up with random people during her vacation in just two countries and generalized it to education in an entire continent. So uh, some of the misinformation. Public universities in Southern Europe do tend to have less accessible professors. But this is not the case in many other countries in Europe. And it's not even the case with all public universities in that region, certainly not the case for most of the private universities there. So our topic today is why not? I've talked before in other episodes about the concept I heard on a Malcolm Gladwell podcast of the threshold theory. He talked about how some people, no matter if there's evidence to the contrary, are really resistant to making decisions that are outside of group norms. He talked about Wilt Chamberlain, the basketball player, who was great except he couldn't shoot free throws. So he started to shoot them underhanded, granny style, and that season he made 28 of 32 shots. Despite the simple solution, he went back to his unsuccessful, more traditional way and, of course, was not shooting free throws again. Gladwell explains that Chamberlain had a high threshold and is more sensitive to group norms. Those with a lower threshold are less concerned with group norms, if at all, and focus on gathering information needed to make an individual decision. Sometimes, if we're somewhere in the middle of threshold, the idea of college can be difficult. On the one hand, there are so many super clear benefits to it, but on the other hand, it's outside of, of group norms and our comfort zone. I meet a lot of people with a really high threshold, randomly usually, when I'm asked what I do, and I find their automatic responses really interesting. It's almost as if their beliefs or doubts are used as defense mechanisms to talk themselves into not exploring other alternatives. 
So let's go through a few of these. Even those of us who are gathering information, not sure yet, um, it's good to have the information about these, these misconceptions to college in Europe. So the first um, one that I sometimes get is, my child isn't proficient in any language except English. So I say, no worries. We're talking about over 1,700 programs that are taught entirely in English. That means the lectures are in English, the readings are in English, the assignments are in English, the whole shebang. Regarding getting around, there are certain countries in continental that have really high English proficiency. When I've been in places like Norway and Denmark and the Netherlands, it feels more like I'm in the UK or, or another country that is English speaking just from the use of it around, not even to me. And major cities in other countries also tend to have high English proficiency. For instance, in Prague, I had no issues at all. But still, there are opportunities like classes and language buddy programs to learn the language of the country, which lead to the great benefits, cognitive and otherwise, associated with bilingualism. So here's another one you might have heard before. When people ask, will the degree be good in the U.S.? To which I say, absolutely. All of the schools we have listed in our database are fully accredited. Many are globally ranked and have other extra international accreditations as well. Your bachelor's degree from the schools we have listed in Europe will meet the bachelor's degree requirement for graduate schools in the U.S. In terms of employment, college in Europe actually gives you an advantage, whether you're looking in Europe or the U.S. for, for a job after college. One reason for this is that internships are a huge part of bachelor's degree programs. They're often mandatory and part of the program structure. Research shows that employers hire somewhere from 50 to 75% of interns as full-time employees. The other advantage international students have are the soft skills gained while they're studying in Europe. This is something employers are reporting that U.S. graduates lack, and studies are showing that this is a contributing factor to the employability of students who have studied abroad. These students show employers are demonstrating that they have a comfort level with cultural differences. They've worked in groups with people with different backgrounds and perspectives. They're flexible, they're adaptable, and they can navigate unfamiliar circumstances. Of course employers would want them. We've done a lot of blogs about this and, and other podcast episodes about employability. I encourage you to check those out for the um, references to some of these studies I was talking about. So here's another one. I heard you have to know what you want to major in when you apply, and I have no idea what I want to study. So it's true that one of the main differences around college in Europe are the structured degree programs. You're basically declaring your major when you apply since you're applying to a specific program at a school. So part of this concern is just sort of the unknown of what's out there. My daughter, for instance, uh, she's still thinking that she wants to be on Broadway when she grows up. And, and bless her heart, I really don't think this is in her, the cards for her. But she's attached to this idea. Part of it, she's still young. Um, she knows she loves musicals and still has a, some of that magical thinking going on. So even though she's still young, one thing I do, uh, while trying not to be accused of being a dream crusher, which she's accused me of on more than one occasion, uh, is to discuss other professions or other study areas that relate to these interests of hers. We talk about, you know, what kind of study one would do if they wanted to be the people who, you know, select the musical tours in, in particular theaters. Or we talk about study programs like arts, culture, and media. 
At 14, she's likely to change her passion many more times, but these are the kind of conversations we'll continue to have throughout her high school years, depending on, you know, her passion of the week. One thing I'm in the midst of developing is a best fit field of study service. We already have a best fit program service in which I identify specific programs at specific schools that are a good fit for a student based on their interests, their budget, their qualifications and such. The best fit study area service will help students identify various study areas that fit with their interest and it'll provide them ways to explore these options. I'm actually looking for a guinea pig for this service. So if you have a teen who really doesn't know what they want to study and who'd be willing to be a guest on the podcast, please shoot me an email. The other thing I want to say is that there are a lot of options that are broad and many that combine different interest areas. There are also liberal arts options that allow you to choose a major your second year. All this is to say, if not knowing what you want to study is your only concern, don't disqualify this as an option. There are ways around that. So the next question really gets to me, and I'm going to try not to be judgy in my response. It's, I could never let my child go that far away. The first thing I wonder is whether these same parents would feel comfortable sending their child anywhere in the States. Many of them would say yes. So it's just a matter of getting more information. For instance, it takes just over six hours to fly direct from where I live to San Francisco. The flight from where I live to Paris is just two hours longer than that, which I don't see as a significant difference. That said, I do know people who insist their child stay within a certain distance of home. Usually what I hear is a four hour drive. But why? I sometimes hear that it's to make sure that there can be frequent contact. I have one Facebook friend whose son is at a school just over three hours away. I swear, based on the picture she posts, that she's up there hanging out with him and his fraternity brothers two to three times a month. Whose need is that frequent contact about then? I, I really don't think it's her son's. Some will say that the close proximity is in fact about their child's needs, so they can get there easily if, if needed. But what message are we then sending our kids that as adults, they can't figure out how to function without us? Not only that, but technology can connect us much more easily than in my day. You don't have to wait for the low rates on Sunday nights, for instance. I guess I just feel like it's my job as a parent to provide my kids with the tools they need to succeed in life. If those tools happen to be in another country, I don't want to deprive them of that due to my own emotional needs. That's not to say that this isn't going to be hard for me. I know I'll miss my kids. I'll probably have mixed emotions when they don't need me as much, when they're figuring out things on their own or when they're finding other resources to use, but that's what they need in life. So another concern I hear is uh, I had such a great time in college in the Greek system and I love the college sports scene too. I don't want my child to miss out on that. Okay, so the first thing I wanna point out is that the current social scene on many campuses is much different than it was when many of us parents were there. Not only are opiates now an issue, but there are major issues with the rape culture on many campuses. Drinking was an issue in my day too, but kids are dying from binge drinking on campuses now and fraternities are being shut down due to this. So let's say that you disagree with me on that point. What I would encourage you to think about are the needs that are being met with things like the Greek system and college sports, because those needs can be met through the social structures in Europe as well. For instance, People often join sororities and fraternities for the sense of community and connection. Every student I've spoken with in Europe talks about how deeply they feel connection and community, particularly amongst international students from around the world. 
when you're living outside of your home country, you have really significant shared experiences with others who are going through the same thing. That leads to that connection. Further, you're likely to share really meaningful values with the other students who have also sought out this type of experience. In regards to social experience, I can tell you that there are no lack of parties and such in Europe. Further, the younger drinking age reduces some of the rebellion that occurs with drinking here. You can go to a club or bar legally at 18, and there's an overall more mature mentality that accompanies uh, drinking. So what about sports? It's true that collegiate sports aren't like they are here, but that does not mean that there aren't opportunities for sports at a spectator or a participant level. I was recently in Lisbon and probably heard about Benfica, the college team, every day that I was there. From everyone, including my four-year-old niece who lives there, to people I was meeting with at universities. The experience of being a fan amongst other fans and watching games live or at pubs or at a friend's house is definitely part of the culture in Europe. Soccer, of course, is huge in many parts of Europe, but other sports like rugby, ice hockey, and even basketball are big in some countries. And there are opportunities to participate in sports as well. Every sport you can think of, from the ones I already mentioned, to volleyball, biking, even paintball, and a few sports I've never even heard of. The last objection I want to talk about today is the one that says, but I don't know anyone else who's doing this. And this is where we go back to the threshold idea and basing decisions on what others are doing. One thing I want to say is just because you don't know people who are doing it doesn't mean it's not a good idea for you and your child. The other thing to note is that just because you don't know people who are doing it doesn't mean that there aren't people doing it. I've been able to find American students at every school I've visited. And now that we've been working with students for almost two years, we have a a number of Beyond the States members at schools in Europe or who will be going this fall. One thing that members benefit from is, is the community of the other Beyond the States members. Not only is it nice to connect with other people who are at some stage of the process, whether it's considering the options, applying, or already admitted, but members can also ask questions of each other and also of the students who are already studying there. We have monthly member Q&A calls, and I'm in the process of doing a private Facebook group for members to encourage that type of communication as well. So I wanted to provide you with this information today for a couple of reasons. First of all, many of you may get these responses when you tell others that you're considering the idea of studying in Europe. Having a quick response, being able to say, well, actually, it's only two hours further than San Francisco, when someone asks you how you could possibly send your child so far away, can be helpful. I want to say that I really, I have no desire to convince people who have no interest in studying elsewhere that this is what they should do. If they have no interest, then they shouldn't do it. Making a decision about where you go to college is a big one. What I want to do is help those of you who are considering it as an option have accurate information to base your decision on. I do want to end by telling you a little bit about the Beyond the States membership. We have a database of all of the accredited English-conducted bachelor's degree programs, that's a mouthful, throughout continental Europe. There are more than 1,700 of them. We don't take money from the schools, so we can be completely objective, even providing negative information. And since I have personally visited many of the schools, you get firsthand information as well. I created the database based on the information I wish I had in one place when I was exploring the option for my own son. This includes information about housing, proof of means, admissions requirements, and more. Members can choose from a DIY approach of just membership access 
to a best fit list, uh, something I love to do, where I provide a list of uh, a short list based on students' interests, qualifications, and preferences. And we also provide one-on-one uh, -on -one consultation services. All of our memberships include regular access to me and other members through our monthly Q&A calls. You can find more information about this on our website, which is beyondthestates.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter while you're there and check out our blogs and recorded webinars. Uh, and also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks so much for listening.